0: morning, everybody. Good to see you all here this morning. Throughout the 1700s, boatloads of people left the UK and sailed to North America, a new land of hope in the British colonies where dreams could be realised and where freedom was offered. And during a particular period of the 1700s, something really strange happened as people sailed to America. As the ships came within sight of the shore, the people on the the boats experienced something truly supernatural. Documented historical records tell us that as the ships neared the coast, the people on board suddenly began to sense the holiness of God. They began to realize that they were, in their words, filthy, dirty, rotten sinners, unrighteous sinners. And they cried out to God for forgiveness, and they surrendered their lives to Him, to Jesus. Nobody was preaching at them. Nobody was talking to them about Jesus. They weren't reading the Bible. In fact, most of the people that uh, did this had been totally rejectful of God, totally rejecting God. And many of them, most of them wouldn't have been seen dead in a church, would never have read the Bible or anything remotely like that. But something happened. Something affected them and caused them to suddenly cry out to God for mercy. It caused them to trust in Jesus and to surrender their lives to him. Many, many people surrendered their lives to Jesus And trusted in him even before the ships had actually docked in the colonies there in North America. So what on earth was happening? Why on earth were people suddenly literally getting down on their knees on the decks of these ships and crying out to God for mercy? What was going on? What was happening? The Holy Spirit was moving and was suddenly present in such awesome power that everybody knew that they just needed to get right with god without anybody even saying anything to them they just knew that they desperately needed to get right with god and this wasn't just one ship documented historical records tell us that this happened on ship after ship as these boats approached the coast of north america so what on earth was happening Why did this happen? Well, some of the Christians of North America had begun to pray and really seek God and repent of their attitudes and some of the the kind of wrong things in their own life. And they asked God to really send His Holy Spirit in great power so that people would be saved, so that people would come into relationship with God. And God's Holy Spirit began to move in a truly powerful way. It was what became known as the Great Awakening in North America. And thousands and thousands of saved were right... We'll saved right across North America, even to the extent that as ships came close to the shore, the passengers were coming under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and they gave their lives to Jesus. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if something like that happened today? Wouldn't we love to see that happen here in the UK, to see that happening in the Northeast, to see that happening in Gosforth, in Regent Chapel... <coughs> Well, according to Jesus, it can. And all around the world today, this kind of thing is still happening. As people have dramatic encounters with the Holy Spirit and then go on to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And even if it doesn't always happen in quite as dramatic a way, this is exactly what happens whenever somebody puts their faith and trust in Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in their lives, bringing them to faith in Jesus through convicting them of their sin. The night before Jesus was crucified on the cross for your sins and for my sins, after warning the disciples that they were going to face all kinds of persecution and opposition, as we saw last week, he then went on to explain that they wouldn't be alone. He wasn't leaving them alone in their task of trying to reach lost people with the good news about Jesus. Because he was going to send the Holy Spirit to help them. They they weren't in this task on their own. So we're going to read this morning, let's read together what Jesus says to his disciples about the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing people to faith in Jesus in John chapter 16, verses 4 to 15, just as he did in the 1700s off the coast of North America and just as he's doing all over the world right now this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me, we're in John chapter 16, we're going to read from verse 4 or the second part of verse 4 and we're going to read right down to verse 15 you haven't got a Bible, or you just want to listen, that's fine. Jesus says this, I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the Prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. As Jesus spoke to his disciples about the fact that he was leaving, that he was going to be going back to heaven, instead of asking where he was going or what that was going to mean, all the disciples could think about, which was kind of understandable, was that they're going to be left on their own to face all the persecution that Jesus had just talked about. Jesus said to them, because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. And it's kind of understandable, isn't it, that they were feeling like this. They were about to have Jesus taken away from them, and they, they really didn't understand what was going on. They really didn't understand what's about to happen. And it would only be perhaps days and weeks later that it all began to make sense for them. They were going to be left to face the hatred of the world and uh, face persecution and torture, and in all but one of the disciples' case, death. They had so many unknowns that they were facing. But Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus' departure was actually going to benefit his followers. It was for their good. Because when Jesus returned to God the Father in heaven, he was making a statement, I guess, you could say. He He was saying that my work is done. He had offered his life as a substitute for sin as a, as a substitute sacrifice, we've thought about this morning, haven't we, as we've taken bread and wine together. He defeated sin, he defeated death, he'd risen from the grave, and now he descended back to heaven. And it was only when he returned to heaven and sat down at the right hand of God the Father that he could send the promised Holy Spirit to the world. God had been promising that the Holy Spirit would come right throughout the Old Testament, and particularly through the Old Testament prophets. God had been saying again and again, I'm going to send you the gift that I'm promising. I'm promising to send you this gift. It's my spirit. He's coming. But the Holy Spirit couldn't come and enable people like us to be born again and to have a whole new, brand new start in life until Jesus had died and had completed the work that God had sent him to do. So although the disciples were understandably upset and panicking about the thought of Jesus leaving them, it would actually be the best thing that could possibly happen to them. They didn't see it that way at the time, but that's what Jesus says. Because only if Jesus left them could he then go on the cross and die for their sin. Only if he left them could he be buried and rise again and conquer death. Only if he left them could he return to heaven and then send this this great promise, this great gift that God had promised and that great gift would bring the supernatural transformation in people's lives throughout history, as many of us here this morning have experienced, and just as those disciples needed to experience as well. So how is it that people got right with God when nobody was preaching to them, whilst they were in a ship off the coast of New England, 1,700 years after Jesus spoke these words? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit was at work in their lives, convicting them of sin and of their need to get right with God. The Holy Spirit was doing exactly what Jesus had said he would do when he came on those ships off the coast of North America. He was convicting people of their need of Jesus. These people suddenly realized through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm a sinner. I need to get right with God. The people on the ships were encountering the Holy Spirit and he was convicting them of their guilt. Speaking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says this in verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes and when when the Holy Spirit works in someone's life, he opens people's eyes, not physically, but in a spiritual sense, so that suddenly they're able to see and understand and grasp something that previously they just hadn't grasped. He enables people to see the truth that they're guilty of getting it wrong. So what had and what does the world get wrong? Well, firstly, it's got it it wrong in regards to sin. Look at verse 9. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. To sin is to miss the mark. It's to fall short of God's standard. But it also means to deliberately turn away and to deliberately live life differently to the way that God wants us to live. And people have missed the mark with Jesus. They've got it wrong about Jesus. And in, in Jesus, there's the opportunity to have our sins dealt with. There's the opportunity to be in a right relationship with God. But people misunderstand the true nature of sin. They either refuse to accept that they're sinful or sometimes people even celebrate sin as being good. And we see lots of that, don't we, in our world today. And then worst of all, people ignore Jesus as being the solution to their sin. They fail to believe in him and they actively reject Jesus. And the sin of unbelief in Jesus is the greatest sin of all. But it's the Holy Spirit, when he's at work in people's lives, that opens people's minds to suddenly see that this is the truth, that he is the one, that Jesus is the one, that can bring them into a right relationship with God. He's the one, the Holy Spirit is the one who shows people, enables people to understand that they need to get right with God, that they're they're guilty of sin, they're guilty of rejecting Jesus. And he helps them to understand this and gives them the opportunity to then respond and, and respond to that truth. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit also convicts the world in regard to righteousness because the world has a wrong view. It misunderstands what righteousness is all about. Righteousness simply means living in a right way. In, in, in biblical terms, it's living in a way that pleases God. That's what righteousness means. But the Bible teaches that only Jesus is righteous. And we've, uh, Rob was referring to that earlier. Jesus is the only righteous person, the only person who's ever lived in a, in a way that's pleasing to God. Jesus is the only person that has ever lived like that. And he's the only person that, that could live like that. He's the only person who can truly please God. The trouble is that people think they can be righteous by doing certain things, like maybe going to church or you know, being kind to people or to animals, giving to charity, say, you know, saving the planet, doing good things that they think are really good and, and, and worthy. But God says that all of our efforts at trying to be good people, at being righteous, are just like dirty, filthy rags. The very best that we try and do is just filthy in God's eyes, and it's, it's, it's useless, it's pointless. It's pointless. Sometimes people just don't even care about trying to be righteous. They've got no interest in living in a righteous way at all. They don't even see the need for righteousness. They actually kind of celebrate their unrighteousness. They love reveling in in their sinful lives. And so Jesus says in verse 10 that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to convict the world of guilt in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. The fact that Jesus had risen from the dead and had ascended back to heaven and had been accepted and received by God the Father to sit at his right hand, proved that everything that Jesus had said about himself was actually true. It demonstrated the fact that he he had lived that perfect life, and God was accepting him as the only human being that had ever lived and ever could live a perfect life. And God had accepted him as he came back from earth, and demonstrated that his death and resurrection had done done the work of making it possible for us to be right with God. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people... That they've got it wrong about how to be right with God. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts people about the, the fact that they need to be right with God in the first place. And that the only way to be accepted by God is to trust in Jesus. It's to trust in the one who's been accepted by God. Jesus has lived that perfect life. He's been accepted by God. And so the way that we get accepted by God is, if you like, kind of clinging on to Jesus and relying on the fact that he's been accepted. We put our faith and trust in him. It's kind of like plugging into a socket and flicking the switch. And Jesus' righteousness, his rightness with God flows to us, and we get exactly what Jesus has got. And it's only when a person realizes through the work of the Holy Spirit that they are unrighteous before God that they can then get right with him. When a person realizes that they're not right before God, then they realize how sinful they are, and they realize that Jesus is their only hope. And then the amazing thing is that when a person surrenders their life to Jesus and puts their faith and trust in him, then God actually accepts them and And gives them the righteousness that Jesus has. The only way that we can be accepted by God is through Jesus. Because he was the only righteous person that has ever lived. And if we put our faith and trust in him, then God will accept us. And then God views all those that have trusted in Jesus as having the right standing, or the same right standing that Jesus has with God. That is phenomenal, isn't it? You might consider yourself this morning, you might look at your life and say, my life is full of all kinds of unrighteousness, and that's probably true. But if you've trusted in Jesus, then when God looks at you today, he, he no longer sees that sin. He says, you are righteous. That is now your identity. You are righteous. You are transformed. You're no longer a sinner. You are now a saint, a holy one. God gives us the righteousness of Jesus, and he thinks of it as belonging to us. We are now, in God's eyes, as righteous and as holy as Jesus. Jesus then says in verse 11 that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of judgment. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned the prince of this world is satan he's the ruler of this fallen world but he now stands condemned according to jesus here and he's going to face god's wrath for all of eternity when jesus completed the work that god had sent him to do by dying on the cross by rising from the dead and conquering sin and death and hell satan was doomed he was finished he was defeated And when Jesus returns to this world and judges all those who throughout history have rejected him, including Satan, the prince of this world as Jesus calls him, then then Jesus will throw Satan into the lake of fire, what the Bible calls the lake of fire or hell, for all of eternity. Hell, the lake of fire, isn't Satan's domain. Satan isn't there kind of keeping the flames going as people often have this kind of idea. Satan himself will be punished and face God's wrath for all eternity because Jesus will judge him for his rejection of him. Jesus was saying that those who reject him, those who reject Jesus, effectively, maybe they don't even realize it, but are effectively at the same time accepting the prince of this world. They're accepting Satan. To reject Jesus is to accept Satan. And consequently, they stand in the same position as Satan. They are doomed to eternal damnation in what the Bible calls the lake of fire unless they surrender their lives to Jesus. So this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does many other things, and the Bible's full of those things. But in this particular passage, Jesus concentrates on these particular work, this particular work of the Holy Spirit. He shows, if you like, the facts of life to people. He opens people's eyes and makes them realize what life is really all about, what is really true. He shows them that the only way to be righteous or to be right with God is through Jesus. He shows them that if they reject Jesus, then they'll follow the fate of the prince of this world, Satan. The Holy Spirit works in people's lives so that they're able to understand the reality of their situation before God, that they need to trust in Jesus. And without the power of the Holy Spirit being at work in people's lives, and without the Holy Spirit being at work through our preaching and through our evangelistic activities, then nothing is going to happen. Look at what did happen when the Holy Spirit came for the first time in Acts chapter 2. Peter stood up and he preached a very ordinary sermon. If you look at Acts 2, there's nothing particularly clever about it. It's not funny. It's not entertaining. It's not, you know, it it wouldn't score great marks on a kind of preach-a-thon. We probably don't have all of the sermon. We probably just have the summary of it. But it's not clever. It's not funny. And yet, look what happens. When the people heard this, which was Peter's sermon about Jesus, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. As Peter preached, the Holy Spirit was at work convicting those listening, this big crowd that were listening on that day, convicting them of their sin and of their need to get right with God through Jesus. And 3,000 people that day gave their lives to Jesus. They, they, They realized they were sinners, they were convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they responded and they surrendered their lives to Jesus. Not because of Peter's brilliant preaching, I'm sure it was great, but because the Holy Spirit was at work through Peter, convicting them of their need of him and if the Holy Spirit isn't at work in and through our preaching and our evangelistic activities then our best efforts as clever and as good as they might be are just going to be empty and powerless Jesus says earlier in this conversation with the disciples which Matt looked at a few weeks ago he says apart from me you can do nothing apart from me you can do nothing without the power of God in what we try to do it'll just be empty and powerless it just becomes our efforts I could deliver the best evangelistic talk you've ever heard, but if the Holy Spirit isn't at work convicting people, those people who are listening, then it will just be utterly powerless. You might go and think, oh, that was a great preach from Andy or a great preach from whoever. But if the Holy Spirit's not at work, it's just words. We can have great Sunday services. We can run Christianity Explored, fun days like last week, Fit for Life, Oaks and Acorns, The Hub, whatever. But if the Holy Spirit isn't at work, then those things will just be powerless. Because the reality is that we are totally dependent on God to work in people's lives. God works in partnership with us. He expects us to do the, the declaring, the witnessing, the testifying, the telling of other pe- to other people. But he also needs to be at work changing lives. And the two go hand in hand. The reality is that we're totally dependent on God. Without me, you can do nothing, Jesus says. And James, one of Jesus' physical brothers who wrote the book of James in the New Testament of the Bible, he says these words, You do not have because you do not ask God. So much of what we do as Christians and our efforts to see people come to Christ, to come to faith in Christ, is powerless because we're not actually crying out to God in desperation, in prayer, begging Him to come and work. We need to get on our knees to plead with God to be at work in what we're doing so that people will get convicted by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Spirit. When we pray, what we're basically saying to God is, I want you to be involved here. I I want to involve you, God, I need you. There's loads about prayer that I don't understand at all. But one thing I do grasp is this, that prayer is about saying to God, I need you to be involved in what I'm doing. I'm saying, please help me here, Lord. It's involving God in our lives. It's involving God in our church. And when people get on their knees, then you see things happen. When people get on their knees and pray, and really seek God in humble dependency, then things begin to happen. And throughout the history of the church, when God's people really humble themselves and gather to pray, the Holy Spirit moves. This has happened time and time again throughout the history of the church. When God's people humble themselves and they gather together to pray, the Holy Spirit moves. Wouldn't it be great if as people walked down Gosforth High Street or drove down the A1, as they came closer to this building, they were convicted simply by the power of the Holy Spirit and their need of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? That is what happened, and it's is, is happening today in other parts of the world. But that's what happened in North America 300 years ago, because the believers in North America, or at least a small group of them, got really serious about living for God, got really serious about coming before Him in prayer, and began to ask God to move. They began to repent of all their sinful attitudes and behaviors, and really got serious about living for God. And they got really serious about praying to God. And we need to humble ourselves and pray Praying that God will once again move amongst the people of this land, just as he has done in previous generations. There have been great moves of God in this country, in the Welsh revival, in the Hebridean revival, in the 1859 revival, in, in the Methodist movement. Hundreds and thousands of people converted to Jesus miraculously, just in a similar way to what there was that happened in North America because often just a handful of people got really serious about gathering together and seeking God and crying out to him in prayer please come and move in power part of my family ancestry is from a little dale in north yorkshire called arkingarth dale and if you drive through arkingarth dale it's full of little chapels they are now all holiday cottages sadly but three, 2 300 years ago there was a handful of old ladies who were the only christians in that dale Several thousand people lived there, just a handful of old ladies, and they began to really get serious about praying. And John Wesley rode in on his horse, and nearly the whole day all got converted. Wouldn't it be great if we saw that happen today? And if we don't get serious about praying for this city, for this nation, for our region, and asking God to pour out His Spirit upon the people who live here, they won't get convicted, and they won't respond to what we have to say. I don't understand how it works, but that seems to be the way that God has set things up. We need to get praying for people to be convicted by the Holy Spirit because without the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, then our best efforts will just be our best efforts. We've got lots of different groups and lots of different people meet throughout the month here at Regent to pray, which is fantastic, but our our main church prayer meeting takes place here on a Sunday evening, twice a month normally. And tonight, Helen Monk's going to be leading our prayer time this evening. And amongst other things, I'm sure, but we're going to be praying for the Holy Spirit to move in power and convict people of their need of God. The prayer meeting at Regent is the least well-attended of all our gatherings. And yet, it's arguably the most important. The church prayer meeting is the engine room of the local church. And we can do all the other kind of fancy, clever stuff but actually, if, the Holy, if we're not seeking God in prayer and humble dependency on God, it's just fluff. The church prayer meeting isn't meant to be for just a few really keen people who like praying, it's meant to be the place where the whole church gathers humbly to seek God's help and to seek God's blessing. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit also guides into truth. This was aimed principally at the disciples and the fact that the Holy Spirit was going to come and inspire them to write what became the remainder of the New Testament. This is what he said, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit inspired the disciples and some of the other early Christian leaders like James and Paul to write what became known as the New Testament of the Bible. And so the New Testament, together with the Old Testament, which was also inspired by the Holy Spirit, is God's written word. We sang about it earlier. Your word is good. And every word of it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. 1 Timothy 3:16 says this, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus said that he's, he, he had much more to say to them, but they couldn't take everything in that he was saying right now. They wouldn't be able to handle everything. And so he was going to send the Holy Spirit to teach and lead and direct them so that they knew what to write in what became known as the New Testament. You know, the Bible is an amazing gift from God. This little book is the most amazing book that has ever been written. It is a phenomenal gift from heaven through the Holy Spirit to you and me. Brought to us by the Holy Spirit, the very breath of God. inspired the authors and showed them what to write And, and jesus said that it was for his disciples good that he left them so that he could send the holy spirit and part of the work of the holy spirit was to inspire the disciples to write and complete this 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 sacred book that we have and as far as jesus was concerned his departure was a good thing partly because it would mean the new testament would be written through the direction of the holy spirit that's how important jesus viewed and views his written word It was for their good that he was going, partly so that this could be written. The coming of the Holy Spirit enabled the Bible to be completed, and right now, we have all this morning got access to it, haven't we? There's some people in the world that don't have access to this book, but every single one of us have probably got at least one Bible. Our Bibles are a phenomenal, amazing gift to us through the Holy Spirit. Pretty much everything we know about God is through reading the Bible, isn't it? It's God's revealed word to us. I wonder how important your Bible is to you. How important is your Bible to you? Do you love the Word of God? Continuing to speak about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says in verse 14, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. If you want to know what God is like, then all the guessing games stop when we look at Jesus because Jesus is the heart of God revealed. Jesus is God come as a human being. Jesus says that all that belongs to God the Father belongs to him. The Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus by convicting people of their sin and their need to get right with God through him. And then as those same people with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit put their faith and trust in Jesus, the one who is God come as a, as a human being, Jesus is then worshipped and Jesus is brought glory. The reason that most of us probably are here this morning is to worship Jesus. Maybe some of you were dragged along by somebody else, but I think most of us have kind of voluntarily come this morning to worship Jesus. And we do that because the Holy Spirit at some point in our lives has opened our eyes and helped us to see that we need Him. And so we put our trust in Him. We've put our faith and trust in Him, and so we now want to say thank you to Him and praise Him and worship Him for everything that he's done for us and everything that he continues to do for us. But we're not just meant to do that on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. It's great that we do that, but we're meant to bring glory to Jesus in all of our lives, throughout the week. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to bring glory to Jesus, but it's down to us to play our part by the way that we then live, by the way that we act and behave. So it's good to ask ourselves, does my life bring glory to Jesus? Does my life bring glory to Jesus? And how could my life bring more glory to Jesus? And what changes do I need to make to ensure that happens? For me, that'll be different to you, but for each one of us, there's probably actions that we need to take to make sure that, or or, or to make it possible for us to bring more glory to Jesus. Does my life, does your life, bring glory to Jesus this morning? How could you bring more glory to Jesus? What steps could you take to do that, what changes would you need to make to ensure that that happens? Now, the Holy Spirit won't force us to do anything, but he will prompt us and guide us and lead us to live in ways that bring glory to Jesus. The question is whether or not we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and live in a way that brings Jesus' glory, or whether we ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings. So as we finish this morning, we've got some really big questions to think through. Firstly, do we want to see... The Holy Spirit at work in our church. Do we want to see the Holy Spirit at work in our region with his convicting power? If we do, then we need to humble ourselves and gather and pray. Secondly, the Holy Spirit has given us the wonderful gift of the written word of God, the Bible. But How important are our Bibles really to us? How important is your Bible to you? Thirdly, the Holy Spirit brings glory to Jesus by being at work in our lives, but only if and when we cooperate with him. I wonder this morning is your life bringing glory to Jesus. Maybe this morning that you're someone who has yet to surrender your life to Jesus. You've yet to get down on your knees and accept the fact that I am a sinner. I need Jesus. I need him to make it possible for me to be accepted by God. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been and is convicting you this morning about, you, about your sin. Maybe in the last few days and weeks, he's been convicting you about your sin, about your need to get right with God. Maybe he's doing that this morning. And if that's you today, then how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to the convicting, the nudge, the, the gentle touch, that little whisper, that still small voice of, of the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to see and know the truth and grasp, yeah, I'm a guilty sinner, I need Jesus, what will you do about that? Will you bow down and say, please save me, please forgive me, please, Lord Jesus, come and be my saviour. I need to trust in you. Only you can do that, only you can take that step. Let's just take a few moments to pause and reflect and think about what we've looked at this morning just to allow the Holy Spirit acknowledge that he's here and that he's working, he's moving in our midst. What's he saying? What will you do with what he's saying? Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross, that he defeated sin, that he was buried and rose again and defeated death and hell. Thank you that he rose again and ascended to heaven and that you accepted him as the only truly righteous one. Thank you for sending your spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for coming and bringing us the convicting of sin that has enabled so many of us here this morning to put our faith and trust in you. We thank you that you have convicted us. Thank you for that. Thank you for bringing us into relationship with God through the Lord Jesus. Thank you for bringing us the Bible. Help us, Holy Spirit, we pray this morning. Wherever we're at, wherever life stage we're at, wherever we're at with you, to respond to what you're saying to us this morning. Lord, we long to see this nation changed. We long to see this region changed. Holy Spirit, would you move powerfully, we pray. We lift friends, neighbors, relatives to you this morning. We lift this this neighborhood to you. We lift this region to you. Would you have mercy? Would you convict people of their sin? Would you convict people of their need of you, we pray. Once again, would we see you moving in great power across this nation.